When I was in the military, one of the places I was stationed was in South Korea. This was in the early 1990s, and one of the favorite things for people to do in Korea at the time, especially the U.S. soldiers, was to go shopping. Things were extremely inexpensive at the time in Korea. And one of the highlights was to go down to Seoul, the capital, and go to the shopping district, Itaewon. And Itaewon was filled with all kinds of shops, but one of the favorites among many of the soldiers were the tailors. There were these places where you could get just about any type of clothing custom-made. You could go in and you could get a suit. You could get measured and get a suit for $80, $90 at the time, which was just this great deal. So people would get their uniforms done or they would get custom suits or a popular thing among many of these soldiers were these custom track suits. They were basically fancy sweats, but with all kinds of fancy patterns and embroidery on the back of them. And they would wear these around. And the goal, as we think about buying clothes... I mean, sometimes it's we want somebody to notice and say, wow, that's a really nice shirt you have on. But really, in some sense, when we're wearing nice clothes, we're calling attention to ourselves. It's about ourselves looking good. We don't put on the clothes and hope somebody says, wow, that's a really nice shirt. I really admire the shirt. We're really, in some sense, often hoping they're going to notice us and that we look good. We put on nice looking clothes so we ourselves can look good. And so I want us to think about that as we look at our story for today. And so we've been doing this series on strange stories in the Bible. And so we're going to read a story, or we heard a story read already from the prophet Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus. He was during this time where the northern kingdom, Israel, the people of God, had been split into two kingdoms. One kingdom had already been taken off into captivity. And this was this time of turmoil for the southern kingdom where he lived. Jeremiah grew up as a priest. And he prophesied and he spoke these words. And here in Jeremiah 13, we find him and he receives a message from God and he passes it on. And he says, this is what the Lord said to me, go and buy a linen belt. And now depending on your translation, if you have your Bible, it may something, say something different. It might say a girdle. It might even say underwear. And I was thinking of that as Diane was up here and saying, well, we got a story today. She was talking about socks and underwear. We have a story today about underwear, although it's probably not underwear. It's probably something this linen belt was more than just a belt around the waist, probably a wide piece of fabric that would be worn around the waist, kind of snug fitting. Not entirely sure what the purpose was, but it was this piece of fabric that it was worn. It was made out of linen, which had significance. And so in our Bibles, when we notice there's a detail like this linen, well, why is linen significant? Because linen was the fabric of the priests. And so Jeremiah was a priest, and so here he was. He had probably been wearing coarse clothes, maybe camel hair or something like that during most of his time as a prophecy, and now he puts on some linen. It's almost as if you have somebody who wears jeans and t-shirts all the time, and then all of a sudden they show up wearing a suit and tie. And so here's Jeremiah wearing this linen wrap, and all of a sudden people start to take notice. And he doesn't do it for show. He doesn't say, well, I'm tired of this camel hair stuff. I think I'm going to go shopping and get myself a new linen belt and show it off. He does it because God has given him a reason to do it. And it begins this story that is a familiar story in some of the Old Testament, these stories of where the prophets, these people who spoke for God, would do what scholars call sign acts. So they would be told by God to do something and they would act out something. And frankly, many of them are weird. Many of them are strange, and so this is just fits in with our strange Bible. So if you're interested in other strange stories of the Bible, you can read through the other prophets like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, 
And so some of these other strange acts are the prophet Isaiah who was forced to walk around naked for three years. At least Jeremiah gets a belt. <laughs> or Ezekiel who had to lay down on his side for over a year. Or there was another story where Ezekiel has to make some special bread and there's a really strange way that he cooks his bread. We're not going to go into details of that, but you can read about that in the book of Ezekiel if you're curious about Ezekiel's strange baking method. And if any of you want to try it someday, I don't want any, okay? <laughs> because it's a strange baking process. Or Jeremiah, who in another thing, he shaved his head and then he takes his hair and he chops it up with his sword. And you're thinking, these are some weird things to do. And they do them not for street theater. They're not performance artists trying to put these things on to draw attention to themselves. They do them because God has invited them to do these sign acts to teach the people a lesson. But along with it, they also explain it. Because to be honest, if you just saw a guy wearing a linen belt, you'd say, okay, what's the point of that? If you guys saw a guy walking around naked and barefoot for three years, you'd probably just say he's weird or something's wrong with him, right? Or you just want to know where he was so you weren't there at the same time. And so, but you, there's these explanations that go with it. And so here's Jeremiah. He begins one of these sign acts. And so he puts on a belt. And then it says he bought a belt as the Lord directed and put it around my waist. So then the word of the Lord came to him a second time. So he hears from God again. He says, oh, now take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So he takes off the linen belt and goes to Parath which was, we're not exactly sure, there was a, maybe a little valley. Sounds a lot like in Hebrew, the word for Euphrates, which is the main river in Babylon. But he goes to this place called Parath, and he takes his clothes, and he sticks them in the crevice of a rock. Went and hid it at Parath, as the Lord told me. And then many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So have you ever left clothes outside for a long period of time? Especially something like linen, sits out in the rain, in the fabric. You know, maybe, maybe you're walking through the woods and you find an old shirt laying there. What do you expect to find after you've taken some clothes and buried them or stuck them in a rock after a period of time? Yeah, exactly. So he says, so I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. No big surprise there. And you're thinking, okay, that doesn't seem too dramatic, God. What's the big deal with that? So you proved your point, God. Don't leave your linen out because it rots. But now we get the explanation of what Jeremiah was doing. We get the reason why God wanted him to do this. Because God wanted him to deliver a message to the people. God wasn't just teaching Jeremiah good clothing care. He was teaching the people of God, the people of Israel, a lesson. He goes on in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says, In the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Ju Jerusalem. So in the same way that this belt was ruined, I'm going to ruin the pride of Jer Judah and Jerusalem. So what's their pride? It's the temple. It's the, the kingdom. It's this city that they built. And they have this pride and they think this is the place, you see, because they've survived. And they think as long as the city of Jerusalem is there, as long as we have this place, we can be safe. And God goes on. He says, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt. And now we get to get the point. Like, oh, I get it now. 
just like this belt got ruined by being left out, God is going to do the same things to people. Why? Because he says, and here's the key line, verse 11, for as a belt is bound around the waist, so, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. So God's making the point. Here's the point. He said, the people of God were like a nice linen belt. I took them and I wrapped them tight around my waist. In other words, I invited them to stay and be close to me. I bound them to me. I, I put them close to me and made them up close. I made them my friends and they were personal and close to me. And the reason I did it was to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. In other words, just the same reason that you might put on a really nice suit or a really nice dress or a shirt or something to show off and to, to draw attention. God says, I put on my people so that they would bring glory to me. In other words, the people of God were to be this fine linen belt so that people would look at God and praise God. That was the reason they was doing it. God said, this is why I bound these people. And so if we were to go back in the story of the Bible, God rescues the people out of slavery in Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai, to this great mountain, and he gives them this covenant, this partnership, this promise, and we know the Ten Commandments and all these stories. He gives them all these things, this way to behave. And if you were to go back in your Bible and read books like Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers there's, and Deuteronomy, there's all these laws and rules. But the purpose of those was to set apart God's people. God's people were to be special and they were to be noticed and they were to stand out among all the other people. And the reason was, not so everybody would look at the people of God and say, wow, look how great they are. The reason was, so when everybody looked at them, they would realize how great God was. They would see the way they lived, the way they cared for the orphans and the widows. They would see the way they treated their neighbors. They would see the way they took care of the people within themselves. They would see their honesty and their truthfulness. They would see all the values that they did. And they would look at those people and they would say, wow, the God they serve is amazing. And so God is making this point here. He says, you were supposed to be like a linen belt to me. You were supposed to be wrapped around my waist and you were supposed to bring glory and renown and honor to me. But they didn't listen. They chased after other gods. They did other things. And so God says, as a result of that, they're going to be ruined. And so now we stop and we get to that point where we say, okay, I get the point. But that was 2,700 years ago. And we're not the people of Israel. This was something spoken to them does this have any implication for us? God was speaking to them at a particular point in time and said, well, you were supposed to be like a linen belt for me, but you didn't. And it does have a point for us. Because Jesus said many of the very same things. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, he uses a different picture. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, God says through Jesus to all of us, he says, it's the same way. We are supposed to be something 
that points the way to Jesus, the way we live our lives, the way we do things. Jesus says it a different way in the Gospel of John. He talks about the image of a fruit and a vine. And he says, this is to my Father's glory. This is John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice what it says. This is to my Father's glory. When we bear good fruit, when we are living the way that God has called us to, we point to God. And so the message for us today is to ask ourselves, are we the type of clothes that God wants to put on? As we look at our own lives, as we look at the way we live our lives, the way we speak to other people, the way we treat people, the way we use our possessions, the way we use our time, would people look at us and our lives and say, wow, you're different, and maybe invite us to tell us more about it? Would they look at our lives and realize that if they know we follow Jesus to say, that God you serve must be incredible. And so the story of Jeremiah is a story for us to remind us, you know, would God want to wear us? Or are we worn out and useless? And so at that point, we might say, oh, I got to work hard. And that's always the temptation. One of the temptations in the Christian life is to think that there's something we have to work harder at. And as a preacher, as a pastor, that's a real easy message to preach. Do better, people. But how often do you want to hear that message, do better? How often do you want to hear the message that you're not doing very well? After a while, it gets kind of old, doesn't it? And it gets old because we try and we try and we think we're getting better and then we kind of stumble and fall. But see, that's where the good news comes in. We think of the good news as simply that Jesus died for us. But the good news is also that Jesus rose from the dead and he gives new life through his spirit so that we can live and be good people, that we can live and be changed. That passage I read from John chapter 15, where it ends, this, they, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. It starts off earlier on, it says, I am the vine. So Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, the bearing of fruit isn't something we do on our own. The bearing of fruit is when we abide, when we're attached to Jesus. And I know it's a long ways off, but in January, we're going to do a whole series on the Gospel of John. And that's going to be one of the themes is this idea of abiding in Jesus and what it looks like. But I want us to think about that for a moment. As we think and we think about our own lives... And so we might want to start with just asking God the question, God, where am I like a rotten linen belt? Where am I the places? What would it take for me to show your glory? And have that conversation with God or maybe have it with your spouse if you're married and say, where are the places that I'm falling down? Have it with a good friend and say, God, where are the places that I need to change? And then realize that you're not going to get better on your own. But you need the power of God to do it. And one of the things, ways we do that is what's through what's called spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are just any practice we can do in the body which open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit to make us the people God wants us to be. 
So we practice something with our bodies, and by practicing that, we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit to change us, because the Spirit is the one who lives inside us and changes us. So we often think of things like maybe we read our Bible or we pray. But there are many different things. And so you might take an inventory and an evaluation of where you're at in your life and how, in my, how does my life reflect the life of Jesus? How does my life point to Jesus? And what might I need to do to change that? So maybe one of the things that you do is you realize, I don't do a very good job of listening to God. That maybe I am so busy. Okay. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. Have anybody in the last month responded to someone's question when someone says to you, how are you doing? Has anybody out here said, I'm busy? Probably none of you, right? But when we get busy, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers um, and authors, used to say this when... um, one, a man came to him and said, what's the one thing I need to do in my spiritual life? What would you, what's the first recommendation that you would give? And Dallas Willard's answer was, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I told the story with the kids of Jesus. Jesus had understood this. He moved with purpose He moved quickly from place to place, but he was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. So how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to do that? And that's where the spiritual practices come in. It may be just thinking about what causes me to hurry. What are the sort of things that cause me to get in a hurry? Maybe it's figuring out a schedule ahead of time. Maybe it's just learning to say no. That's a spiritual discipline, people. That's a spiritual discipline that we can all learn to practice. Because the hard part is, and I know many of you, many of you have these big hearts and you care for people and you want to help people. And so it's really hard when somebody comes and says, oh, could you help out with this? We just need one more person. When you hear that there aren't enough volunteers to work at the Blueberry Festival, or when you hear something needs to be done at the church, or when you hear about a neighbor who needs some help, when you hear about something else, it's so easy to just say yes and yes and yes. Because on the good side, you've got this big heart and you're concerned for people. But the problem is if we're just always saying yes, it can just burn us out in a hurry. We think of all the different ministries that serve the people in Muskegon and Muskegon Heights and stuff, and there are no shortage of needs. But even then, sometimes they have to say, no, I just, we can't help everybody. And so one of the ways you may re- ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life and begin to shine and be that linen belt that God desires to wear is to just simply learn to say no. And just begin to practice and say, I need to slow down. Maybe it's just learning to take a few breaths. Maybe it's learning to say, okay, when I start my day, I don't need to rush off and do everything right away. Maybe add a few extra minutes in your day to say, okay, it's going to take me 15 minutes to get there. I'm going to take 20 minutes and I'm going to go a little bit longer way. I'm going to take the scenic route. Maybe I'm going to walk and I'm going to follow a different path. 
and it's to realize I don't always have to be in a hurry. In fact, one of the rhythms that God built into the creation, we go back to the very first pages of the Bible, and it describes God creating the world. This is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it talks about, and on the first day, He created this, and it was good, and on the second day, and then the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth day. And then it says, and on the seventh day, God rested. And then later on, when God's giving His people a rule, a way to live their life, one of the things He says is, keep the Sabbath. Have a day of rest. And this is one of the things that we can all learn to do better, self-included. May not always be the same day, you know, not, it doesn't work for everybody to do it on Sunday or Saturday, but find a day that's a day of rest where you set aside the work of the week. Marva Dawn talks about fasting and feasting. So you set aside some of the things, but you enjoy the day. It's not a day to sit and be somber and say, oh, today's my God day. I'm going to sit... It doesn't even require sitting with your Bible all day long. I would encourage you on your Sabbath day, your day of rest, to spend some time with God's Word. But your day of rest may be some time to get out and enjoy creation. Take a long walk. Find the things that you love. If you like to do woodworking, if you like to knit, you like to crochet, you don't get to do that all. Just spend some time doing those things. Call up some old friends and just have a phone call with them or invite them over and have a simple meal. But break the regular rhythm of your life and enjoy a day of rest because God has, we think of God commanded me to rest, so I've got to rest today. God has given you the gift of rest. God has said, you don't have to work every single day. You see, we get the message all the time that we need to work and to keep working, and only if we work harder and harder and harder can we get ahead. And God's got this totally counterintuitive message that says, take a break. He gives us it to us as a command because He knows our impulse is to keep wanting to work and to work and to work. And so I would invite you to say, I'm going to take a Sabbath. I'm going to take a rest. And it may not be simply a Sabbath from working. It may be a Sabbath from some of the other things in your life. Some of us need a Sabbath from our electronic devices. Or a period of silence, a period of thing where we set aside a time. When I did my um, dissertation, my doctoral dissertation, that was the focus of it. I invited a group of people to take one day a week for six weeks where they abstained from any sort of electronic devices. They didn't listen to the radio, they didn't watch the TV, they didn't use their phones, they didn't use their computers and those things. And a vast majority of them said that it either greatly improved or improved their um, sense of God's presence and their time with them. To just take one day where we set aside all the noise and the distractions, and that's another form of Sabbath. And as we begin to do that, we begin to notice God and we begin to hear God. And when we begin to hear God, we begin to look more like Jesus, which is the point of all these things. Because as we do these, we begin to become the kind of people that reflect the life of Jesus. We begin to bear fruit, and we begin to be the kind of people that God wants to wear and wants to wrap him around himself. So that's God's invitation to us, 
to become people who live a good and beautiful life so that we can point to the one who is the good and beautiful God. And so I would invite you to have that conversation with God, to think about where in your life you need some of those changes, and then to invite God to begin to help you make that change. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward for a closing song. And as they're coming forward, I'm just going to read a little bit from another passage. And this is in um, Colossians chapter 3. And Paul, in the midst of this, says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He's saying we put on these virtues because as we put on these virtues, God puts us on and He shines His glory. And then he goes on and he talks about one of the ways we do that. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. In other words, this is the process of change is to let the Word of God, is to let God's life dwell inside and live inside of us rich, richly. And then he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, so that as we do these, we bring praise to God. So this final song is a song that uses these words of Colossians chapter 3. And it's really a prayer. We say to other, and so Dick's going to sing and he lead, and then we're going to echo back. And I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you're comfortable, what I would invite you to do as we're singing is to turn and face towards the center and use this as a prayer for one another. As we say, let the words of the Lord Jesus Christ dwell in you. That it's not just a words for ourselves, but it's a word for the people across the aisle from us. And as we pray and say the words together. So you stand, and then like I said, as you're comfortable and able, face one another. And if you're comfortable, just raise your hand in a word of blessing to the people across the aisle from you. So let's join and let's pray for one another as we go that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly so that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.